I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! And it's a great day for a ball game. This is Randy Rohde, and you've got Running the Bases with Small Businesses. And today's guest, she is something. A self-described, passionate side gigger. Air quotes around that. Originally from Connecticut, outside of Hartford, she made her way to Tufts University and then headed across the country to attend Stanford Law School. Very impressive. Positions at big law firms specializing in employment law, she found herself wanting to pivot. And after putting her toe in the consulting world, she turned her side gig into a very successful HR consulting practice, partnering her legal experience and her knowledge of workplace culture. She ran her firm for almost two decades. That's quite some sidekick, I guess. And she has been quoted, her HR consulting business was an exercise in the unintentional building of a six-figure business. Her love of side gigs continued, and she continued to put her toes into new and exciting waters. And this curiosity and love of learning has brought her to her current side gig and successful business. As she says, the side gig that brings everything together. Please welcome to the show today's guest, Stanford Law lawyer, consultant, yoga and mindfulness teacher, author, mother, grandmother, I never would have thought that, and founder of the Blue Tree Coaching and Side Gig School, Cindy Warren. Cindy, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Randy. It is really fun to be here. Oh my gosh. Okay, first I'm like, grandmother, I never would have guessed that. I, but we're going to tap into, first, yoga. Now, I think before we started recording, as people know who listen to the show, I have a member of our team. She researches everything. And then she and I, usually the day before we do the recording, we sit down, we review the notes, and she kind of tells me everything that she knows now about our guest, which is actually quite impressive. And uh, she had to tell me, you would not believe Cindy. She likes to stand on her head. There are pictures left and right everywhere standing on her head. And I think somewhere you even say that you love standing on your head. Is that like part of yoga? What is what's up with that? Yes, Randy. It's called a headstand. (laughs) Okay. It is is literally part of yoga and it's standing upside down is so fun. I'm actually leading an inversion inversion workshop in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I actually love to stand on my head. Inversion workshop. You know, you don't look like you have a flat head. So, but that is amazing. (laughs) So yoga, you know, going through the research, yoga is a big part of your life. And I know that you practice yoga, you taught yoga for, I'm not exactly sure. I probably have it in my notes here for a, a, a lengthy time period. Um, yeah, uh, I still do. So how did you, oh, you still do. I think 
uh, my team members, I think she was teaching somewhere and the place closed during the pandemic or something. So maybe you're doing something different now. That's great. How did you get into yoga? How, how did this become part of Cindy's world? It started, boy, about 20 years ago, actually, as I kept hearing yoga was a great workout and I love to work out. So that is literally how it started. I was like, yeah, okay, it's a stretch. People keep saying it's a good workout. And soon I fell pretty deeply in love with the physical practice, which, Mm. of course, there are so many different kinds of yoga. I was drawn to a pretty powerful, athletically-based kind of yoga. It is a great workout. And I soon discovered it was so much more. It brought me a presence of mind that I had really never experienced before, but think I was always looking for. And it's funny that you mentioned standing on my head because when I'm upside down, I actually, you're not thinking about other things like what's for dinner. No, I would be thinking, how the hell am I going to stay on my head? (laughs) Yes. to concentrate you're present yeah so i really fell in love with the mindfulness aspect of yoga and then i got very curious about the philosophical underpinnings of it and ended up just sort of taking a deep dive into yoga philosophy for a pretty long time and that culminated in me publishing a book a few years ago i am gonna we're gonna get into that here in just a second as well um i will have to tell you in a former life I was running uh, a, a number of stores that were across the country. We were having a national meeting with everybody. And we always brought in all kinds of different guests to do different fun stuff. I actually did a class with Rodney Yee. Do you know Rodney Get Yee? out. Yes. Of course I know Rodney Yee. I mean, Rodney, me, and like 12 other people doing... I'm like, I was not a yoga guy. I certainly was impressed. Like, I know this guy is Babe Ruth of yoga or something like that. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah. So He's I, old school, international yeah. yoga. Yeah. I hate the term cult figure, but he kind of is. Yeah, he's he's a guy. So anyway, yeah. I thought I thought maybe Thanks. I might impress you with my yoga-ish. You did. <laughs> I'm impressed. So tell us about the book, The Radiate Um yoga philosophy and why we care or should care. So uh, tell us about this. This is kind of fun. Uh, Can I go buy this thing? Actually, I do have to tell you, my researcher even told me yesterday, she goes, you know what? I went and I went and put myself, I'm checking it out out of the library. It's over in the library in the, uh, in the Cleveland library system. I had no idea it was at the library. Yes. So so it's, yeah. Yeah. So she's going to give me a, a a 411 on the, uh, on the radiate book as well. So that is hilarious. It is on Amazon. Yeah. It really was like, I mean, I think of it as sort of like um, yoga philosophy for dummies or for the yoga curious. And I found that so many of my students came to the practice the same way I did, which is I'm here for the workout. And what my foray into yoga showed me was that is just the tip of the iceberg. And there's a whole principle of living well and living with meaning and finding contentment. That is the philosophy. And I wanted to share that. I felt like so many people have no idea about this and yoga philosophy can sound really intimidating and big and heady, but there is and can certainly be a a beautiful simplicity to it that I wanted to share. 
Mm. So that was sort of like what the book was. Nice. Is it now it sounds to me as you're describing it, it sounds like it's more philosophical rather than how to. Oh, it's it's there's no how to. You oh. will not learn how to stand on your head if you buy this book. <laughs> okay. All right. I like philosophical books, so that's good. I'm I might have to tap into that thing as well. So let's move forward here. Now, today you are the founder of Blue Tree Coaching. And that is quite a path that you've taken to get to today's enterprise. But tell us a little bit about Blue Tree Coaching. What is it? What do you do? What's your specialty? Yeah. So I've been coaching for a few years now. And as you said, I did pivot. I keep pivoting. I th- I do think actually this is my final pivot though. Law to consulting, yoga was in there and now to coaching. And coaching is really working with people to create new results in their lives in one way or another. If I had to boil it down to the simplest definition or description of coaching. So I work with clients in a couple of ways. I work with a lot of one-on-one clients who are looking to advance professional or entrepreneurial or even just personal goals. And I also have a program that you sort of referred to that is called Side Gig School, and it helps aspiring and actual side hustlers get to the next level, whether it's launching a side gig, growing a side gig, turning it into something more like a full-time gig, which is what I apparently keep doing. So those are those are my two things. I work with people one-on-one and I work with them in this group coaching program that I created. I love it. So one of the things I think we found on your site, you talk about finding purpose, helping clients find their why. Yeah. Dig into that because I think I'm still trying to find my why. But what do you mean by that? How do you guide people through that process? Well, when it comes to business and entrepreneurship, it's much easier. So let me Hmm. take it first in that context. I bet if I pressed you on, Randy, what is the why behind 38 Digital? You're going to be able to tell me. And what I find as an entrepreneur myself and when I'm working with other entrepreneurs, like really tethering into why are you doing this in the first place? There are so many professional paths open to us. What were you thinking and wanting and desiring at a deep level when you started it? And using that almost as like an anchoring point when things get challenging, which, you know, I know probably every one of your listeners knows this, like. The entrepreneurial journey can be very challenging. Mm. So understanding like, why is this, why does this matter to me anyway? And being able to refer back to that, I think is a really grounding practice. I think that comes up when I'm working with people in a one-on-one capacity that does not involve entrepreneurial issues as well. Like if someone comes to me and they want to deepen their relationship with someone important in their life, or they want to make more time for health and wellness goals. Why? We start with why, why does it matter? Why would you mm. hire a coach? Why do you care? And then we sort of refer back to that when the going gets tough. Got it. So you can really, that's why I was wondering from the business side, I could see that. And that's why I was wondering when I read that, I'm like, is that more on when you're doing the life coaching uh, aspect and working with a particular client? But I really do like the, 
drive back to answering why. Why do you want to do that? Why is kind of that purpose, as you say, kind of finding that purpose? It's got to be really helpful because sometimes I think people do things and they're not exactly sure what is the, and you may find this, and this is just my own spouting wisdom here or unwisdom, whatever. I think people sometimes, I, I will say I do this. Sometimes I do things, I may state what I think is the intentional purpose, but often there's also some underlying purpose that I may not have either touched on and or given a voice to. Do you find that as well with Definitely. people? Good, yeah. I'm not yeah, crazy. with me. Okay. <laughs> you are totally not crazy. And I think have, it can be helpful to explore that with yourself and for yourself, but it can also really be helpful having someone just sort of ask you yeah. open-ended questions that get you thinking about that. That's, and we're not, yeah. um, we don't necessarily all have like one guiding principle. Like you say, like health and well, a health and wellness goal, for example, might be to feel good in my body, to look good in my genes, to stay attractive to my spouse, to whatever it is, be a good right. role model for my kids. Like there can be so many wise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so fascinated. So this podcast, we're talking about entrepreneurship and growing your business and the path that people take down that. I find you exceptionally fascinating because clearly you were successful. You're obviously a bright, intelligent person because what you've been able to achieve through Stanford Law, working for large firms, you're a successful attorney. Through that process, you galvanized a specialty of working in employment law, employment culture, and then you pivoted. And so you're, I'm sure, and I have no doubt, I mean, I don't know what numbers or whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm sure that you were successful in that avenue. And then you pivoted and started a whole nother, like, eh, I'm not going to be... <laughs> an attorney working for this big law firm anymore. I'm going to go start my own thing doing HR consulting. Obviously you were successful at that because it was nearly two decades <laughs> that you were doing that. And, um, and then you go down, I don't want to say maybe necessarily a completely different path, but certainly a, a nice tangent off of the HR consulting piece. <laughs> yeah. And I find that fascinating on what, and why you did that. Can you answer the why on that? Absolutely. And I think for <laughs> Not, each of the different, you know, sort of points in my career where I have pivoted, there are different whys. I would say leaving the law firm practice to start my consulting gig um, was the function of me being a new mom and having a baby and not really seeing how to make that work in a way that feel good. Now, this was almost 20 years ago. Mm. Um in the traditional law firm culture that I was in. I also happened to have a very dear friend and mentor who had an HR consulting business who was in my ear saying, Cindy, you can do this. Like, hmm. this is a great business model. And I'll be honest with you, Randy, I don't know that I would have conceptualized the model on my own, but I had someone a few steps ahead of me that was sort of like further along on the path that I could look to for inspiration and guidance. So I thought, well, I'll be home with my daughter and I'll do this on the side. And, you know, as you mentioned, she grew, the business grew, and it really became a full-time thing. Um, 
But I think my why was it, what I was doing before the traditional practice of law just wasn't working for my life in a way that felt good. That's interesting that you bring up and I'm, and I'm glad you did kind of this. You, I think you use the term mentor as well. And so I'll refer them to that. But the person who is already in the HR consulting business and had uh, some success there already, and they were giving you kind of words of encouragement and some guidance uh, on what you could do. And I, we have had that brought up by so many other guests as well. And the importance of that and as well, encouraging people to seek out those uh, mentors because so often as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, sometimes, you know, you, you may feel like you're just isolated and you're navigating these seas and you don't know if you're taking the right direction. Should I go this way? Should I go this way? And sometimes it can be paralyzing, but if you have somebody now in your experience, it was somebody who actually was doing that role and could really help you with some very specific kinds of things. But absolutely. And I think this is, and get me if I'm wrong, but I think in some of this, uh, the aspects that you provide as a coach, you can become kind of that broader sounding board and uh, uh, mentor, if we want to use that word yeah. uh, to help guide no, I think- uh, folks as well through this. That's exactly right. And I view myself, I think coaching is a bit of a mentorship. And I think when I think back to all phases of my career, whether it was being a lawyer, being a consultant, being a yoga teacher, um, even being an author, being now a coach, I've always had mentors. Sometimes they are friends, as I mentioned, a few steps ahead of me. And sometimes they're coaches that I've hired. But I think that's a really important thing is to have someone, um, whether it's one person or a community of people, because as you said, and especially for the solopreneurs out there, can be lonely. As you look back at the pivots that you had and that you've successfully navigated, any regrets on any of those paths? No, I think, look, I can look back and say I have lessons I've learned where I could have done particular things on each path differently or more skillfully or more efficiently, certainly. Um, But I don't have any regrets for the windiness of my path. And I think it's everything I've done up to this point has led me to blue tree coaching, which I feel like is the culmination of all my passions and interests and skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in that anyway, as well. I think, Hey, where I am today was because of all of the things that led me down this path over the number of years. So, uh, yeah, I think that's good. Let's talk a little bit more about today as well, because you do life and business coaching. But you also do this thing, which I think is so clever, side gig school, side giggery. And I think you're very (laughs) intentional about not calling it a side hustle. So why do you call it side gig school? The program I created is a combination of teaching and coaching. So that's why I liked the word school. And you're absolutely right, Randy. I I'm not sort of adopting the moniker hustle wholeheartedly, even though if you were just going to go Google the thing about which I'm talking, it's most commonly called a side hustle. I like to teach it in a way that doesn't feel hustly. 
I don't want to buy into the glorification of overworking and stress and burnout. And I do think there's a way to build a sustainable business without the over hustle. Not to say it's not a lot of work. I work hard. I like working hard. My clients work hard. But I also really believe in having balance and staying connected to my purpose and spending time with my family and my friends and all those other things. So the term hustle, I just found it to be a little bit of like, yeah, that's not exactly what I teach. I don't want to teach people how to hustle. I want to teach people how to create. I think that's perfect. And especially, I think in today's world, especially, there is a lot of that, that uh, Gary V, I'll just use him. I've mentioned him before. I like Gary V. I think the guy's like, I love his energy and his, his, I think he really brings it home for a lot of people. But he is like, hey, go, 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 go. And sometimes you have to do that at times. But at other times, I think it's much more effective to kind of pull back and, and be uh, and be intentional and be focused on what it is that you're trying to achieve. And the gig, well, when you call it a hustle, then it seems like it's just going to become and dominate every other aspect of your life that, that um, I guess that you don't surrender to it. Um, but when you kind of couch <laughs> it as a gig, it seems like it's another component of my life, but I've, have some control or set some uh, intentional boundaries maybe around it. Yeah, that's definitely the way I like to think about it, teach it and coach on it. And when I think of like the most amazing byproduct of having a side gig and like, why would, why should anyone even care about it? I think there's also this idea of freedom to create something from nothing. Even if you're following a well-established business model, which I have always done, something that's yours, something that's an expression of you and what you care about and what your skill set is. And I also really like to teach and help people feel freedom of time in their lives. And probably I'm drawn to that concept so much because it's something I have struggled with for decades and still, still sometimes do. I mean, it's not that I've never been the burned out over hustler. I have, which is why I think I'm drawn to teaching another way of doing it. Right. So I'm going to go down this just as an extension of a conversation that you and I have had, I don't know, last week or the week before, I think one of the things that I'm, that I'm, that I really like about the way that you approach this side gig is coming through the pandemic. We saw so many women that were displaced because of the pandemic and because you know, the roles that they play as mom, you mentioned, you know, you were yeah. a new mom and you wanted to do something maybe different in your life at that time from being a lawyer. Not that people have to, so don't people don't read more into it than what I'm trying to explain, I guess. But I do, I do appreciate though, that you give, I would say opportunities um, of thought and application for folks. If they do find that they want I love the word freedom. Something I always try to teach my kids about, hey, going out and having a job and getting creating money is good because it gives you independence and freedom. It's not because it can go buy you this or that or whatever that thing is over there, but it because it gives you freedom. And, yep. uh, and I think in today's world, I think people really appreciate that independence and freedom much more so than probably five years ago, maybe than what they did. And this is why I think I especially love what you're doing in your approach 
because you're teaching and you're giving people that opportunity to create that gig and maintain freedom without it just being uh, totally consuming like the concept of hustle may do. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too yeah. uh, philosophical about it, but I, I, I love it because I think it, it really is going to provide people a great opportunity to create more freedom in their life, which everybody. I, I no, I don't think you're overthinking it. I think that's exactly the point. And I work with a lot of moms who want to have something that's for them. They're obviously devoted to family life. And it is a really nice, creative, financial, empowering, professional outlet for them. Um, And that's not to say I don't work with nine to fivers and men. And, you know, I have all all types coming through psychic school. But I think you hit on something really important that is related to just sort of where we are time and place in the world right now coming out of the pandemic. More and more people are looking for that independent source of income. Mm. The traditional model of work just doesn't work, so to speak. And I I like sort of shaking it up and turning it on its head. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of turning it on its head, I'm going to kind of flip this a little bit. In May of 20, you published a story in CE World magazine. So this is just after the pandemic. And it was about mindfulness in leadership. And it was to practice high-level mindfulness at work. Leaders must start with practicing mindfulness in their own lives. That is a great statement. Talk to us about mindfulness, mindfulness in leadership. Just begin to tell your story, I guess, about mindfulness. Sure. And boy, I forgot about that article in CEO World. That <laughs> See, was talk, some. We time find ago. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's <laughs> hilarious. So, mindfulness is something I have studied and practiced and taught a lot as an outgrowth um, and an offshoot of my yoga practice. And really all mindfulness means is paying attention to what's arising in the moment as it's arising. Just simply noticing what's happening, whether it's around you or within you or in your head or in your body or whatever. It's simple. People think it's so complicated and it became, has become a buzzword, which speaks of, speaks to the sense that people get it's something important. So that's great. But I think for leaders, it's important to stay present to what is happening moment to moment. In some way, that is the best thing you can do to to optimize your skill of being reflective and responsive rather than reactive. Mm. And most leaders have lots of things coming at them from all different directions, especially those who manage big teams. And I've worked with a lot of those people in all areas, you know, from the law firm days onward. Being able to stay present and grounded and less of a multitasking kind of mind and more of a single tasking kind of mind helps you relate to people, to be present for people, to help them feel seen and heard, to stay connected to the values and the mission that you spout as a leader, whether you're the business owner or just the leader of a unit or or whatever. And so bringing mindfulness into the workplace. And there are a lot, a lot of studies uh, showing the efficacy of mindfulness in workplaces. Start at the top, encourage others to take that time well as well. And it's really sort of a, it can be equated with just mental and physical well-being. 
mindfulness practice. So one of the things that I got trained to do many years ago was to teach mindfulness meditation. Mm. And all it means is, you know, people will think, oh, I can't meditate because my mind is always racing. I can't clear the thoughts. So that means I can't meditate. And that is actually a complete misunderstanding of what meditation is. It is simply breathe in, know you're breathing in, breathe out, know you're breathing out. Mind wanders to do list, um, you know, worrying about the past, stressing about the future. It's all okay. You just notice that too. And you come back to the breath, breathe in, breathe out. I mean, it's so simple. So teaching that um, and connecting it to leadership, I think has so many wonderful strategic uh, benefits that leaders wouldn't even think about, like how they show up when they're less stressed and more present. If they're not burnt out, they can encourage their employees to live and work the same way. And all of that stuff, of course, trickles down to the bottom line. Sure, sure. That is great insight. And I'm Glad you kind of walked through the simple mindfulness meditation even as what that is. Uh, that's a great little skill to, uh, to practice on a daily basis. Okay, Cindy, we're going to move uh, forward here a little bit. Do you like baseball? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I remember going to Red Sox games when I was a kid with my dad. All right. So those are some great memories. Oh, I'm sure. All right. Well, it's that time. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right, Cindy. So here we are. We're at the the seventh inning stretch. This is where I get to ask you a, uh, I don't know, some kind of a baseball question, at least. Maybe a little bit uh, in your uh, ballpark, we'll say, uh, in in your niche. Did you know that there's yoga in the MLB? I did not specifically know that, but that doesn't surprise me. Yes. So uh, Major League Baseball has been incorporating yoga into players' workouts for years, uh, stretching the mind-body connection, all of that. But something new that started, I don't know, in 2018, 2019, somewhere around in there, teams began hosting yoga days to create a unique experience They bring fans out onto the field with their mats, have instructors, and they go through, I'm not sure what you call it, a practice or a process of yoga being led through. And you're right out there in the stadium on the field. Imagine you're out there in uh, center field and you're looking at everything and doing yoga. Would would that be mindfulness, do you think? I think that would be a blast. I can't believe I haven't heard about that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that would be as much of a mindfulness practice because it would be so unusual and exciting and your brain would probably be zinging around with all the energy. But that sounds like a blast. Yeah, I mean, well, I would be, be that I would, my mind would be spinning. But yeah, so several, I don't know if it's happened here in Cleveland yet, but San Francisco Giants, the White Sox, Detroit Tigers, they all have had and, and have scheduled for this coming season, yoga days. Very I cool. think we should do that in Cleveland. I bring would it agree. Cleveland. I would agree. <laughs> so here's your question, though. So now okay. we've introduced what very famous baseball player said Baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. (laughs) 
sounds like something my Nana would have said, but she was not a <laughs> baseball player. I'm going to guess Babe Ruth. Uh, close, close. You know, this guy actually, and I love the quote because he's kind of noted for like these quotes that are like, huh? Uh, Yogi <laughs> Berra. And that, that part, was going to be my second guess, pardon, especially when you said yes. yeah, the part, last thing. Oh, I love it. Pardon, I love it. pardon the pun on Yogi, right? But yeah, Yogi Berra <laughs> said that. I thought that was great. I thought that was a good connector right there for us. So <laughs> love it. you did nice. You did very well. Well, I did all right. I didn't do great. Uh, No, you did great. It was out of the park. All right, let's get back into it. Play ball. So uh, one of the other things um, I know that you've done probably both in your HR practice and maybe even in today's world as well, talking about culture coaching. And I'm sure probably in, in... you approached it in different methods or depending upon whether you are doing your HR consulting firm or even in today's world where you're coaching CEOs, um, how do you create a culture? How do you manage the culture? How do you kind of keep your uh, thumb on the pulse of the culture? Can you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, absolutely. And I see a lot of business owners, um, you know, just sort of like, oh yeah, we have a culture. It's a mission statement. It's on paper and no one ever looks at it or reflects on whether they're walking the walk of what's stated or not. So I think of a culture and you're right, Randy, this does bring in my employment law, my HR and my coaching work. I think of a culture as like a set of guiding principles that you as the leader create for your workplace. Solopreneurs can have a culture also, which is just something self-created, self-imposed that is really just tied to their mission and values. But I think of a culture as almost like a high-level operating statement of this is who we are, this is what we do, this is how we do it, and this is why we do it. And I think identifying somewhere between three to five, not too many more than that, core values is really important to almost be used as a metric. So if integrity is a core value of a company, what does that mean? How do we know if we're acting with integrity or not? So I think it requires some fleshing out. And then the piece that I see a lot of businesses missing or leapfrogging is, okay, now you have to tell everyone about it. So you actually have to do some workplace training, which is, hey, this is who we are and what we do and why. And this is what is important to us, and this is how we implement it. So in actual policies and procedures, that sort of becomes the living, breathing um, reflection of the culture and the values. And many people have uh, handbooks in place that maybe check the legal boxes and do nothing to advance workplace culture which I think of as something being really important to employee engagement, which I can't even probably count as high as the number of studies that have been done that show how important employee engagement is to having a well-functioning business, both financially and, and otherwise. So I think of culture as like this big thing that should be tailor-made. It's not just like you can buy a culture kit and be like, now we have a workplace culture. I think it depends on the personality of the leader or the leadership team. Um, I think it's something that requires a commitment to convey it to the workforce, to have an open avenue for employees and other stakeholders to share input, to even lodge complaints. So 
even just taking a buzzword like integrity, that might translate as, you know, an open door policy that we don't just say we have, we do. A lot of places will say, yeah, you can come talk to us about anything, but then the secret message is, don't say anything, you know, that disagrees with management or somehow you'll find yourself right. on the outs. Yeah. And so I think having someone in there who can assess where a company is and where they want to go is just such a good use of time and other resources to really solidify. I think of it as like the foundation of the company. Mm. I think as well, it's so critical. And our last, uh, I think our one of our current shows that's out right now, a uh, founder of a very large fintech company, and he was so focused and so committed on culture and really about listening and being very intentional on listening to the employees or the team members in the company. Mm -hmm because he put place such a high, high value on their role and their function in the company. And I was so impressed with that because it, as a founder, as a leader in the company really was breathing and speaking about the culture that they've established. And they've gone over in a, uh, I'm trying to think it's um, 15 years, I think, but they've gone from zero to over $3 billion valuation. Very wow. intentional, right? Culture has got to be incredibly important in order to be able to move like that. I think you're right on with your insights on culture. I would absolutely recommend. Maybe you could do a book on culture as well as uh, <laughs> yoga. Let's <laughs> <We'll> see. <laughs> Good stuff. So let's move a little bit. So as you've moved through your pivots, we'll say, and you've started these successful enterprises Thinking back now, whether it's either with Blue Tree Coaching or with your HR practice, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced and ultimately overcame? I think it took me a very long time with my HR consulting practice to be able to have a clear sense of exactly who I was for and who I helped and how. I think for the first few years of the business, and this was also probably a function of it being at a time in my life when I was also devoting a lot of time to momming and such, um, was a little fly by the seat of my pants. You have an HR problem? Yeah, sure. I'm your girl. And some projects I was well-suited for and others I wasn't. And I ended up probably, I don't know, around year seven or year eight, getting really crystal clear on I do workplace investigations. I come in and I do workplace trainings on these topics. And in sort of the catch-all of consulting, I do these three things really well. And outsourcing the other stuff. Once I got really clear on what are my actual skill sets, what do I want to develop my expertise in, the business just started to naturally grow. I think I also, you know, I... You mentioned like the, your um, your employees did a little research on me and said I mentioned labeled that as being an unintentional business, unintentional growing up a six figure business, and it really was. I, you know, the idea I started out with with my mentor, and then I was just sort of like fly by the seat of my pants, and 
I became more intentional over time. And by the end of that business, I decided to drop it in 2020 as my coaching business was really taking off. Um, it was like a well-oiled machine. It just took me a while to get there. But take the topic of workplace investigations. If an employee complained internally about something unfair or possibly illegal or harassment or discrimination or something along those lines, most of the Cleveland employment lawyers in town knew that they could pick up a phone and call me. So that was just a repeatable source of business. So I think the obstacle was not being super clear on who I was helping and how for too long. And eventually time kind of solved that for me. And I just sort of matured as a business owner and as a consultant. With the coaching business, I think my trajectory has been so much quicker because I have been intentional, but it is sort of the same struggle of like HR consultant can mean 500 different things. So can life and business coach. So who am I for? How do I help them? It's taken some time and even a little bit of trial and error and uh, maybe not a little bit, a lot of trial and error and missteps and fails to now be at a point where I'm pretty clear. I'm like, yeah, this is who I'm for and this is how I help. I'm both the one-on-one side and the group coaching sidekick school side. So as you're walking us through this, what I find, if I go back to some of my early note pages on here, is that you actually kind of put into practice what it is that you work with folks on, finding purpose, helping clients uh, (laughs) find their why, right? And so you've essentially kind of walked through the practical, real life, this is what we do, and you... You can help people do it faster now because I, I think you've realized this is really is critical and really important. And I think for people thinking, what could my side gig be? If you think of yourself as your first and best client, you know, I would want you to ask yourself, well, what have I done? What problem did I solve? How? There's your side gig right there. Right. So in thinking about side gigs or with you, you've started uh, these different enterprises. One of the things I think, and especially in a services focused enterprise, like what you did with the consulting HR consulting, and now with the life and business coaching, how did you start attracting your first client? It was people who knew me. And if I think of my first year as a coach, Almost all of my clients were current or former yoga students. (laughs) And if I think to the beginning of my HR practice, I started networking with lawyers I knew. So it was people who knew me. And I think that's how most businesses start with your own personal network. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's good advice because a lot of times people are bashful, maybe not or reticent about asking friends would you try my services and, or would you tell people about my services? Yes. Yeah. I see people confront all sorts of mental resistance to doing that. And I think that is the thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a safe place to test run things. And people have stories of, Oh, that's, I could sell it to a stranger, but not to a friend, you know, that kind of mental drama. And I, I think I use my mindset work to really help them work through it. Um, but you cannot be an entrepreneur and not risk rejection. 
Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. Yeah. So that's something every entrepreneur, whether it's on a really, really baby basis, like a side gig or a full-blown entrepreneurship, um, you've just got to say, yeah, that's part of the process. Right. It's okay. Yeah. No, is, no is not a problem. Yes. Failing is an inevitable part of the journey. Right. Uh, yes, you have to have a bit of a thick skin at times and, you know, and understand, Hey, no, it's just not at this time and move yeah. on. Right. Um, so here we are, we're blue tree coaching. What's, uh, on the horizon for blue tree. So you've have had really some great success the last couple of years. You're looking forward to this year. You're, I know we're starting to do work together, which is great, but where do you see your practice in your industry, maybe three years down the road. I don't know. It's hard to know for sure because Blue Tree has already, like, if this is the beginning of my third year in business, it's already so different than it was three years ago. Sure. So I can imagine that there's a lot I can't yet imagine. But from this moment in time, I love working with individuals to help them achieve professional and financial and entrepreneurial and personal results. I always want that to be a part of the business. And I think one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping people lean into possibility and create parts of their lives that they're almost like afraid to dream of and show them how and how it's actually not that hard. So I'm also really equally passionate about growing my reach with helping people start side gigs. Mm. And especially the moms who think they don't have time or they've been out of the workforce too long or it's too hard or it's too scary. Um, I I really want to show people that's not true. I'm also starting to dream a little bit about a next level coaching program that might be something like from side gig to six figures, because that's something I keep doing myself. I love how you stated that too. I'm I'm beginning to dream a little bit. And I think, (laughs) you know, it's a great whimsical kind of phrase, but I I do think that entrepreneurs or, or, uh, and sometimes we get so boxed in to the day to day, this is what we're doing. And we've got this and we're humming along that they, and I throw myself into this sometimes kind of fail to look beyond and dream. Right. I love how Mm -hmm. you stated that I'm beginning to dream. We had a guest and he's actually, he's been on the show a couple of times and they do something in his firm. They call it a whiteboard Wednesday and every Wednesday for a period of time or something, they gather around and maybe have brownies or something. I don't know. But then they just start kind of spitballing ideas and throwing stuff out on a board and no ideas dumb. And and then they just explore stuff and kind of do an intentional dreaming session, if you would. But um, That's I've, amazing. I've, I've always, I, when he told me that I was so impressed with that. I'm like, yes, that is so important. I think to kind of dream a little bit on what, what could we be doing next and what is that next opportunity? So And I think giving ourselves the space to contemplate questions like that is where innovation comes from. Yes. Like innovation doesn't come from just sit at your desk and crank it out same way every day. No. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right with that. That's neat. That's really neat. Okay, Cindy, here we are. We're at the bottom of the ninth and it goes so fast, right? You've done great. Uh, What advice do you have for rookies in the game? So all of these people 
starting out in business or those who already have their business and are looking for some guidance maybe do you have some tips some pointers how to get up there up up to bat and knock it out i definitely do and interestingly i think we've covered them a little bit but i think knowing your why is probably the most important foundation for every business owner whatever the level and that can be the kind of thing that evolves and changes so my why when i dip my toes into yoga back in whatever year it was, 2002-ish, it's not my why of why I I teach today. So I like revisiting it. And I think that's something really important to do. And if it, to the extent it can be hard to do alone in your head, have a conversation with someone close to you in your life who you can just sort of like play catch with, you know, back and forth. So coming back, knowing your why, like, why am I even doing this? And I think that's the key to making sure you don't just slip into autopilot and wake up 20 years from now being like, why did I stay in that job? Or what was I, why did I even have that business to begin with? Like check in with your why. The second thing, were you going to say something? No, I think you're right on. Keep going. Great. The second thing I was going to say was seek support. You know, as we sort of said, the entrepreneurial journey can be and seem lonely. And I think having a community of people, whether it's friends who are entrepreneurs or networking groups or a mentor, like I've always sought out or a coach, um, I think that's critical to growing and doing it in a way that is sustainable and also feels good and lets you live a life you love. Great advice. Yeah, we probably have touched on all of those things already, but just so great and concisely put together. Um, Listen, Cindy, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, It's been great chatting with you and understanding and really exploring the great service and uh, coaching and clarity that you provide, I think, to your clients. And I I use that word in particular because I do want to mention to folks, if you go to uh, Blue Tree Coaching website, Blue Tree Dash Coaching, is that right? That is. Okay. I knew the dash. I was trying to remember where the dash was. (laughs) Blue Tree Dash Coaching.com. And you can sign up for a complimentary clarity call with Cindy. And uh, you can schedule it right there. And so that would be great. Uh, We'll have the link in the show notes so people can go there directly as well. And I would highly encourage folks to uh, to take the time, reach out, uh, connect with her. She's great. But again, thanks for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. It was so fun. And I'm glad I didn't flunk the baseball question. Thank you, Randy. (laughs) Oh, you were great. All right, folks, that's the ball game. And hey, thanks for joining us today. And if you like her show, Please tell your friends, subscribe and review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.